Wow, Merry Christmas, Four Oaks. We don't know each other. I'm Paul Gilbert, one of the members of the pastoral team here. Uh, I'm thinking about uh, the movie Field of Dreams when the ghost of shoeless Joe Jackson remarked to Kevin Costner. He said, is this heaven? And Kevin Costner said, no, it's Iowa. And I kind of have that feeling right now. This is just an amazing, beautiful night, and we are so glad um, that you are here. Now, if you look on page three of your program, I want to point out and draw your attention to something. It says right under Hark the Herald Angels Sing, it says Sermon Pastor Paul Gilbert. Now, for those of you with little kids here tonight or hungry stomachs or all the women who are already getting cold, all right, fear not. I bring you good tidings of great joy. This is not a sermon, right? This is a short devotional, but hopefully God will meet us in it nonetheless. Now, some of you remember the story about the advice that I received on the eve of my first sermon that I ever preached. It was about 30 years ago. Um, Jimmy Young was the pastor. He was an awesome preacher, and he said he wanted to sit down and give me um, some input about my first sermon. He wanted to give me some advice as I got ready to preach for the first time, and I was eagerly anticipating his words of wisdom, and he looked, looked me right in the eye before I walked up, and he says, Paul, just remember, it's better to be bad and short than bad and long, right? And I said, thank you, Jimmy. That was really helpful. And so it was short and bad, so just so you know. Well, you know, people don't think about this, but Jesus actually had to preach a first sermon. And believe it or not, it was a short sermon, and it's recorded for us in Luke chapter 4. And the text that he preached from, guess what, from what book? It was from the book of Isaiah. In fact, he preached from Isaiah 61. Now, if you've been with us this Advent season here at Four Oaks Church on Sunday mornings, we have been studying the book of Isaiah and trying to understand what it is that Isaiah the prophet 700 years before Christ came, what did Isaiah the prophet have to tell us about the incarnation? So it shouldn't surprise us that Jesus pulls his first sermon from the book of Isaiah because Isaiah has more to say about the coming Messiah than any other Old Testament prophet. Isaiah is the one who tells us that a savior is going to be born as a child. And that this child will be raised up from the line of David, the root of Jesse. And that this king would actually turn out to be a suffering savior who would die as a substitute for his people. But as we come now to Isaiah 61, Isaiah is going to give us the first grand public unveiling of this servant Messiah. It's his coronation, so to speak. And so I want to pick things up in Luke 4 where Jesus is reading from Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. And so let me read that passage for us. And he came, meaning Jesus, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled, unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Can you imagine? I don't know if you've ever played the game. Maybe your kids have. Maybe they've shown you a book of, it's really a book of mind testers where you're presented what appear to be two identical pictures, but they're not identical. They're almost identical because there's something in the picture that's different about one of them, something that distinguishes one from the other. And you have to stare at them as us adults do for hours to figure them out. Our kids get them in a matter of minutes, figure out what is the one thing about this picture that's different from that picture. And let's play that game if we can for just a second. I'm going to read the original passage that Jesus is preaching from, Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. And I want you to see if you can pick up what is different between what Isaiah says and then what Jesus quotes Isaiah with. So let, let me read that again and just pay attention. Isaiah 61, 1 and 2 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has appointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Do you see what Jesus did there? He stopped reading in the middle of verse 2. He says, Hey folks, I'm here to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he stops, he puts down the scroll, and he doesn't read the next line. The next line being, in the day of our vengeance of our God. Now, why does Jesus say that I'm here to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, but I'm not here to proclaim the day of vengeance of our God? What, what's the difference? Why does he do this? Now, lest we draw the, law, the wrong conclusion here, let me say this. Jesus doesn't omit verse 2b because he doesn't believe it. Jesus doesn't omit verse 2b because he's embarrassed by it. Jesus indeed believes that there is going to be a day of judgment, of vengeance. In fact, Jesus talks more about judgment and vengeance than almost any other topic in the Gospels. Nor does Jesus think that Isaiah somehow contradicts the other scripture writers, and that's why he's not mentioning it. You see, when we look at the Old and New Testament, all the scripture writers universally proclaim, they universally predict that there will indeed be a definite fixed day in the future when the Lord Jesus will return. He, he will establish peace on earth for those who are trusting in him, but yet pour out judgment on those who have rebelled against him. So we have to ask then, what gives? Was Jesus just fearful? Was Jesus a people pleaser? Um, was Jesus just trying to smooth off the rough edges for his postmodern audience on a Christmas Eve? Is that what Jesus was doing? No, none of these are, are the reasons, I think. See, the reason that Jesus doesn't say this in his first sermon is because I don't think it captures the heart of why he came to earth to be born as the God-man. Let me read this 
verse from John 3, 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus didn't come into the world, John says, to condemn the world. Why? Because the world was already condemned. See, we were all born into the condition of darkness. We are the lost, the broken, the oppressed, the poor in spirit that Isaiah mentions here. And as such, we were all at one time walking in darkness. This is why Jesus says, and we read it already this service, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. No, see, Jesus didn't condemn the world because the world was already condemned. Jesus came to save the world. And you can see this in the weight that Isaiah gives to the word year versus the emphasis he gives to the word day. He says it's the year of the Lord, but it's the day of vengeance. You know, a day is of short duration. We all know that. You can't necessarily get a lot done in one day. And if someone told you right now, you have 24 hours to live, what would you do? Where would you go? Who would you see? Who would you want to talk to? It'd be a tough one, wouldn't it? But if I told you, if you were told that you have a year to live, now that's a whole nother matter, right? There's still time to do things to go places, to make things right, to have conversations, to reestablish old bonds, to say goodbyes, to make amends, to say what needs to be said, to whom it needs to be said. A day is brief, but by comparison, a year is of great duration. And Isaiah phrases it this way, I think, because he's wanting us to understand the nature of God's grace versus the nature of God's judgment. See, there will be a time and a place where Jesus will return and there will be judgment and he will judge the living and the dead. But here, what Isaiah is wanting us to remember about the grace of God is that it's open-ended. It's accessible. It's available to everyone. The door is wide open. While the day of judgment is indeed coming, the year of mercy and grace, Four Oaks family, is right now. Do you know that metaphorically speaking, we are right in the middle of the year of the Lord? You see, Jesus has broken through the darkness and shown the light of the good news into our world, which means, please hear this, as long as you have breath, there is still time. The opportunity to embrace Jesus is still before you, to welcome him, to embrace him, to receive his salvation. So don't wait, don't tarry, don't put it off. See, the day of the Lord is coming. There will be a time where the baby born in the manger comes back as a conquering king, the judging king. But what Isaiah is telling us and what Jesus is telling us is not yet. See, Isaiah 61 is an invitation. 
It's an invitation that David himself echoes in Psalm chapter 2. Listen to this. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled, but blessed are all who take refuge in him. Let me ask you a question. If this is the year of the Lord, if this is the season of grace, what's keeping you from Jesus this Advent season? What's keeping you from embracing the year of the Lord's favor? What's keeping you from the good news of the coming of the King? And if we're honest, oftentimes it's not for theological reasons. It's not for intellectual reasons or even apologetic reasons or any other sort of philosophical reasons. A lot of times the reason we don't open our arms wide to the Savior is for heart reasons. Because we know deep down that if we admit that the events of 2,000 years ago were true, if they are really true, we all understand that changes everything. That makes an enormous claim on our lives. Listen to what Pastor Scott Saul says about this. He says, to concede the truth of the story, the story of the, of the advent, of the appearing of Jesus, the birth of Jesus. So to conceive the truth of the story is to put oneself in the precarious position of admitting Jesus isn't, isn't merely an advisor or consultant, but that he is Lord. That Jesus is and must be the boss of me. Because when Jesus is the boss of me, it means I must surrender things to him, such as, and, and see if any of these kind of strike a chord with you. When, when we recognize the authority of Jesus, the kingship of Jesus, the miraculous coming of Jesus, and we realize that makes the claim that Jesus is now our Lord, what are the things that we have to surrender? We have to surrender our money, our time our sexuality, our grudges, our deceptions, our reputations, our appetites, our addictions, our words, our work, our ethics, in short, our everything. But you see, when Jesus comes proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor, he's telling us that he came to set us free from that tyranny. He came to set us free from the tyranny of sin. He came to set us free from the tyranny of our selfish choices. He came to unbind us from the sin that entangles all of our hearts. This little baby was born so that he could grow up to die. That is the great paradox of the Advent season, which means this. Just as much as Jesus came proclaiming the good news, and please hear, please hear this, Jesus was the good news. Jesus is the good news. And so there is open for all of us this Advent, the year of the Lord's favor. And so there's the invitation. 
wherever you are, whatever you've done, whatever, wherever you think you are in relationship to Jesus, there is this invitation, embrace the son. Find refuge in the babe. Kiss the son who is Christ the king. Let's pray.